Welcome to a dialogue on accountability in the digital age. A dialogue with representatives of a global, multi-stakeholder community. And I'm your host, Fritz Bussemaker, and today I'm delighted and privileged and honored to have a conversation with Mailing Fun. Mailing, welcome to the program. Nice to be here, Fritz. Yeah. Now, Mai Ling is the co-founder with Finsurf uh, and chair since 2020 of the People-Centered Internet. Now, she has a long and strong background in IT, including the fact that she was the two-man uh, Skunks Works team developed the very first prototype of the customer relationship management system uh, at Oracle. She's also an advisory board of GovStack, which we'll talk about, uh, has worked with IEEE, uh, the recipient of the Women's Economic Forum Award, shortlisted for the Woman of the Year at Silicon Valley, a true global powerhouse, and is a native from Singapore. So again, Miley, very much welcome to the program. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yes. As mentioned in uh, the beginning, um, you co-founded the People-Centered Internet with FinSurf. It might not be needed, but I want to ask you anyway, could you please describe who Fint is and why the people-centered internet was founded and what your role is? Sure. Fint Surf is one of the fathers of the internet. He was at UCLA on one side, one of the nodes of the yep. first nodes of yep. the internet. Um, uh, in 2014, I uh, uh, organized for him the 40th anniversary of the TCP IP spec. So he wrote the TCP IP spec with Bob Kahn here in Palo Alto in 1974. And um, we, I had uh, already uh, organized the 40th anniversary of the mother of all demos for Douglas Engelbart. So earlier on, I talked about the first two nodes of the internet, Vint Cerf at UCLA, Douglas mm -hmm. Engelbart at SRI. I organized the 40th anniversary for both of them, one in uh, 2000. Then was it 2008 yeah. and for Doug and then uh, uh, 2014 for Vint. Um, because of my experience with CRM and seeing uh, how it got used in ways that I didn't expect and was quite unpleasantly surprised about, I knew that things were kind of going to go awry for the internet. Mm -hmm. um, but, but hearing the anniversary speeches, people came from all over the world for it. Um, I understood that the internet was a gift by people to the people of the world. It was through friendship that it was uh, created. And we had somehow lost that spirit with the great rush to profit. So um, I went to, back to Vint a year later and I said, I think we need to talk about why the internet is good for people and that we need a internet of the people, by the people and for the people. So that's why we uh, came together and did this. One of the fathers of the internet, godmother of CRM, came together to make sure technology is a force for good in the future. That, that's quite impressive. And I, I just realized that, Mailing, that can you think of another industry with such a global impact, the internet, CRM systems, uh, where you can still talk to its creators, uh, where they can help steer and grow with what they developed and help steer in the right direction? I mean, Tim Berners-Lee is doing the same thing with the Web Foundation and his contract for the web. So it's amazing that we can still get you guys uh, to come and help uh, steer it in the right direction. 
Well, it's because it's grown so fast, right? That we're still alive. <laughs> you know, and so I would actually say on, on another industry, I would like you to think back to electricity. Mm -hmm. That in fact, when, when Thomas Edison, Westinghouse and Tesla were really talking about how electricity yeah. could go to the masses, um, they were really fearful that in fact, um, only people who could afford electrical generators could have electricity. And the idea of electrical utilities uh, came about so that everybody could have access. And that effort is still going on because not everybody in the world has access to electricity. My hope is through, through our efforts, um, the founders can still influence this so that everyone can benefit. We can have participation by all in the internet, not just in the consuming of it, but in the producing and innovation that can come and be enabled by connecting each other. Okay, now today, more or less 50% of the people on this planet are online. Um, what's the maximum you think? I mean, is it, are we going to thrive to 100 people, hundred uh, percent or not? No, no. I, I mean, even today we have people like the Amish in, in yeah. Pennsylvania who don't use electricity, right? Uh, there, there are reasons why um, people step away from the modern world and they should be, they're certainly entitled to, but my, my hope is that everybody who wants to will, and I think that will be over 90%. Mm -hmm. Okay, so end goal 90%. Can you predict by what year we're going to reach 90%? No, I pass no. on that. Okay, good. No, accept it. Now, so people-centered internet uh, is about um, making certain that it's, it was built by people, for the people, and that's going to be its future. Um, how, I mean, I mean, is this a concern which you're predicting or is it a concern because you see things happening right now, we need to do something about that? In a way, I think that where the internet is, is that we have um, unleashed tremendous power and mm -hmm. the kind of philosophical, historical um, reflection about how do we harness this power in a uh, sustainable way has not had a chance to catch up. Think about fire. Fire, when humanity began to use it, uh, in fact, probably burned up a lot of people and houses, right? Uh, a lot of things got burned, but eventually the, uh, the guardrails were in so that we could harness fire and down to kind of using steam for, for transportation and so on. So I think we need to expect that the historical trajectory of the internet will go perhaps a little more accelerated than that of fire or electricity, but it has to go through a natural evolution. Um, I would say right now, the internet ha has helped us to build the idea of a house, but I think it's the house of straw. Um, and what, what I want is to have the house of bricks. <laughs> um, and the house of bricks is much more robust. Um, I was an assembler programmer in the 70s, and I know how software came about. There are lots of bugs in software, but the wider world has really not been exposed to actually how fragile 
software is. There's a cartoon circulating this year about a whole big machine, yeah. and it depends on a small piston that is uh, maintained by somebody in Nebraska, and uh, nobody knows who what what yeah. they do, and they could fire that person, and the whole thing could fall down. Unfortunately, uh, for those of us in the software industry, this is the secret that we know. But uh, no, there's not a lot of talking about it because the actual um, response has to be the construction of far more robust software. And that's what I'm working on, which is the idea of robust, sustainable, usable digital building blocks that we can continue to evolve to be more robust. But we don't have enormous houses made of straw, which once they we find the flaw, they completely fall down. No, you should be able to, okay, that brick doesn't work, replace it with another brick. I okay. think open source software has a lot to play, a big role to play in this. Okay, because uh, you're already alluding maybe to an answer of a question I haven't asked yet, because when you use the metaphor of a straw house and it's going to be replaced by a brick house, so we skip the wooden house in the middle, um, you are actually rebuilding a completely new house. So is your argument that for the future to have a much more uh, sustainable uh, internet, we have to rebuild it rather than no. repair it? No, no. I think that for, hu for humans, the important thing is the idea of the house. Okay. okay. And, and the idea of the house is, doesn't collapse what we can do is allow ideas of the house to evolve naturally in different cultural milieus that we have globalization, but if we try to impose the American style housing on every country in the world, that clearly won't work because of costs, inappropriateness, not, not having the right kitchen, not having the right size. So many things are not fitting a global version of a house, but our mental version of a house, a home where people can nurture their young and look after their elders and bring their friends in, that is something that crosses cultures. And that's the ideas that we need to hold together so that we get software that fits. So even no matter where you're building a house, you might have bricks. Well, okay, so let's have reusable bricks. Let's have reusable windows. They might be of different sizes or shapes for different cultures, but having them means that we can be much better in creating good windows, good bricks. Good bricks. Okay, I'm going to, because you're talking about your work for uh, GovStack at the moment. A uh, very important chapter, but I want to finish the, the people-centered internet chapter uh, right now. Because yeah. uh, I've, I've read one of the quotes, digital technology are bringing about disruption and innovations and a profound social institutes, uh, institutional changes. Uh, to realize the digital device for all, we need complementary policies. I'll, I'll stop there. We need complementary policies. Uh, can you give me an example of complementary policies and complementary to what? Oh, com com complementary to um, our hopes and dreams yeah. as humans. Okay. Uh, 
about the lives we want to lead, right now, humans have just been considered buying instruments, right? We're being advertised to go buy. Oh, we want to, we, we need to think about what we want in our lives. And what we want is something that's complementary that allows us to connect, to thrive, connect, to flourish. So that's that's the work that I see that it lies ahead. Um, have I answered it enough or do you want to go a little bit deeper? Uh, maybe one spade deeper, if I may. Uh, <laughs> but I'm trying to figure out um, how we can get, how we can execute on this, who needs to be at the table. So it's okay to uh, point somebody needs to do this. Oh gosh, no, no, you, you know, we're, we're really talking about um, uh, when the internet began, you couldn't point to anyone, someone needs yeah. to do this, right? Yeah. Let me just go a little bit into the history of the internet because I think that will be helpful for you to understand where I'm coming from. Um, while DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Agency funded the TCPIP spec, the spread of the internet didn't happen because of defense. It happened because university professors were collaborating with each other in different universities they started using the, the internet, the ARPANET, and realized, oh gosh, we can actually collaborate instantly. We can send files, we can talk to each other. And so that's it. People would say, hey, my collaborator in University of Zambia, um, you put in the internet and we can talk like this and get out of snail mail. And so th there's this whole um, spread through the national research and education networks. Yeah. Um, that connected the universities. Now, what we have today is that you've got things going on at national levels where we're talking about digital cooperation as the U United Nations Digital Cooperation Roadmap, which I'm a big advocate of. But I think that there's a missing player. It's the cities, the communities, the, 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 the smaller, each, you know, in, even in the US, you've got rural communities, you have urban communities, you have very different characters of communities, Los Angeles versus um, uh, uh, Indiana's, uh, you know, I, Idaho, these are all very different. So how can each of these um, do what they want to do? But I think of them like the universities of the past, the very different universities, but they had something called the Network Information Center that allowed that university to plug in to the internet. So I think communities need to begin to do that, but exchanging so that they can share and learn and use similar modules that you can use building blocks that could be adapted to work in very different places in Jakarta, in uh, uh, Berlin, in Brussels, in uh, Bogota, Colombia. So uh, I think these are the possibilities that we have ahead of us. So I, um, I'm, I'm very um, positive that constructively we can get there. How long it will take is definitely dependent on the political will. What we see is that the potential for the COVID pandemic to accelerate um, this process is actually quite strong. 
many, many countries are facing the need to restart their economies post-pandemic. So the people-centered internet is um, advocating digital finance for small, medium enterprises and for community digital public goods. And that digital finance would allow communities all around the world and small, medium enterprises to access global capital in order to both invest and to borrow, um, lend, so that uh, small enterprises can get going in all of their different directions. But what the complementary policies are, we should make sure that it is trustworthy, sustainable, inclusive, that we don't fund things. In Romania, there's a ransomware startup village. Well, no, we don't want to have global finance help fund ransomware startups, even though they're probably extremely well-paying. And that's the distinction that I make is that we need to have um, ways to look at accountability um, for the SMEs and whoever's borrowing, because with digital, we in fact can do um, conditional uh, uh, issue of the funds. And if you, in fact, start to kind of go and take on your ransomware uh, business division, we want to say uh, you're no longer eligible to continue. Uh, your credit line is yeah. cut. So, so we have um, ways in which we can use accountability to build a better world. And this is so important now. You know, with the COP26, people want to do something. I believe that digital technology can help us get there, but it requires complementary government regulatory policy, but private sector initiatives that are looking at the world in this new kind of way. True. It's uh, so the government should be at the table, uh, international institutes. Uh, the vendors, um, NGOs, anybody else we're missing? Uh, the science community? Oh, absolutely, yeah. the science community. Yeah. Um, so I'm very involved with uh, EU Africa Science. Okay. Um, I helped to convene the United Nations Science Summit in the 75th anniversary and the 76th this year. So um, we believe that the United Nations should be bringing in the science community, and we've begun working on that. So, uh, and especially my uh, advocacy is for the participation of women, women in science, uh, women in technology. Uh, so I am working with the ITU on the gender mainstreaming initiative with the ITU. We might want to make sure that as so many countries, um, uh, are digitizing that women are at the table to say, hey, what about our children? Hey, what about home care? What about how do we keep going when we're the unpaid caregivers and we're not even, the, the work that we're doing is, isn't even counted or recognized? What if we digitize only the formal economy and not the informal economy? What does that do to us as humanity? Okay. I think. These are very difficult questions that have to be confronted and having women at the table will allow us to solve it incrementally rather than wait until we get into this big disaster, yeah. which is kind of happening with the birth rate going down in, in so many countries. When, if you keep treating women as expendable, they will stop 
having babies? Good point. Um, so it's a zone advocate when you take a more inclusive uh, approach, make it more diverse. Um, am I hearing you say that that's also going to help um, solve the yes. accountability? There's a, there's a brilliant new book called the Diversity Bonus, mm -hmm. which is saying that um, by having teams that are cognitively diverse, we end up with better solutions. Uh, and it, it was recommended by Satya Nadella. So I'm really pleased that he brought it to my attention that uh, I think that the diversity bonus is what we need in order to face the challenges of globalization and, and challenges that connectivity is bringing. And that's what we are saying at the People-Centered Internet. It's not an unalloyed good. It's like fire, it can burn us up. But we have to do the things that we need to do, put in the guardrails so that we can use it for the good that it can do. That's a, a great objective. Um, I fully support that. That's also why um, the Institute for Accountability was set up is to raise that awareness. We need to think about uh, accountability by design almost because we need to realize what the impact is. Um, Couple of questions before um, we, we have to close. Uh, what's the biggest threat for accountability today uh, in the digital age? Uh, the potential for misuse. Potential for misuse. I'm going to um, uh, tell a story and it's very personal. So um, I uh, grew up in Singapore. Uh, I had no grandparents because they had all uh, died before I was born, uh, but, but two of them actually died during the Japanese war in Singapore. Um, and uh, when the Japanese first came into Singapore, they said, uh, you know, who's been collaborating with the British? And um, some, uh, some people who are enemies of my grandfather, who's a lawyer, said, oh, he was a collaborator. And, um, yeah, you know, he was just taken off and uh, killed. Uh, so, so I think we have to be very, very careful about information, the provenance of information. The, you, you can, it is important to have accountability, but you can't allow anyone to say, oh, so-and-so did this. Yeah. You gotta have a way to, to have laws. Have, how, did they really do this? What, what is the basis? on which you are um, making accusations. Um, this other part of accountability, which is we need to use technology to have access controls. We have to make sure that the data isn't all or nothing. Either you can get it and or you can't at all. And um, no, you can have granular access where you have who can access when, for what purpose, how often, to what degree, and that can change. But our rules are set as though we're still working in a paper and pencil world, when in fact, we have the entire digital dimension to use for accountability. I don't want to use accountability. It has the same problem as the internet, as fire. Accountability can be used for great good and for great harm. So that's the greatest threat to accountability is that as we rush forward on accountability, we stop thinking enough about the ways in which it could be misused. Even accountability can be misused. That's 
quite a deep thought to think about. So thank you for sharing that idea. Um, now, having heard all this, the, the story, the, the history of the internet, what your uh, observations are, concerns, where would you put your effort? Uh, where, where would you uh, advise people, okay, that's where we need to focus on? I think um, open source digital building blocks is really the next wave of the internet. And that's where we should focus on. Um, we are starting at the people-centered internet with building blocks for digital finance for small, medium enterprises, because in the end, you know, follow the money, right? Yeah. If the money, if the money is going uh, and can start to 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 mandate or sh or show that reusable building blocks, in fact, are a more effective way to get things done, to run small businesses, to run governments, then it just starts to happen. So that's how I see it. Uh, that's where we're going is digital finance and building resilient communities. The thing is you can't just build anything. You can't, you can't use the building blocks for, for doing ransomware companies. You want to do the building blocks for building resilient com co communities. Um, and we actually came to this because people-centered internet, we wrote the digital recovery plan for Puerto Rico after the hurricanes. And it was during the study of looking at that way, we saw silos of oh, recovery of transportation, recovery of health, recovery of education. And we said, no, a digital recovery will allow each community to pick and choose which way they want to recover. And it needs to be robust and sustainable because the community themselves want that and they will invest in that. When outside money comes in, parachuted in, here's a hospital, then parachuted out where, oh, how are they going to maintain the hospital? Who's going to get paid so that we can go into the hospital? These are questions that are really a big problem in the development community today. It's all very well to send money in, but who's going to maintain it afterwards? Resilient communities are a way where if we can invest in resilient communities, then the communities themselves set their own priorities. And then they take the help from outside to help them achieve what they want to maintain. Mailing, thank you so much. Uh, you have, you're a strong advocate of replacing the straw hut of a brick house, becoming resilient. And I want to thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us. And uh, hopefully we'll be uh, keeping each other up to date on our uh, endeavors. Thank you so much. My pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me, Fritz.